Well, we've been trying to talk about God and what our relationship is with him here. And we've been discussing this matter, the fourth question of what can we expect from God. And we've been digging around in Psalm 23. I told you a little bit of the story last week about how that this is so crazy that Larry's been doing this now or the same Sunday he started was the same Sunday we started on reading the 23rd Psalm. Are any of y'all doing that, reading it every day? My wife keeps reminding me every day, did you read the 23rd Psalm? And I said, I'm teaching on the 23rd Psalm. I'm not reading it. No. And then she, you know. It's hard to live with her at times because she has a real good memory. Like I heard her one time, somebody said she was just being hysterical. I said, no, she was being historical. <clears throat> and that's worse. <clears throat> that's much worse. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, with this fourth question we've been digging around in, you know, the first question, is there a God? I just want to kind of keep that in your mind. Is there a God? If there is, what is this God like? Character of God is everything. The third question, what does this God expect from me? <clears throat> what does this relationship require? And then the fourth question of what can we expect or what can I expect from God? What I've said to you is to be taken into his care. To be taken into his care. Um, there's a phrase that I think of, and I'm sure I read it somewhere uh, other, otherwise, that this being taken into his care, this, this psalm, is the with God life. The, the, the with God life. <clears throat> I think for a lot of years... I lived the about God life. I knew about him. <clears throat> I had a lot of information, <clears throat> you know, that I understood about him. Uh, <clears throat> there was a lot of about God. <clears throat> Excuse me. What, what is it that you know about God? What can you argue about or defend or discuss? But <clears throat> as I've grown older and as I've, I think I've gotten smarter at some point, that there is also this with God life. That, that it's not just knowledge. That's important <clears throat> to know about him. But it's also living with him. Think, think about that. Jesus, in, or when, they're, when the, the writer's writing about Jesus, his first name that we get is Emmanuel, which means what? God what? With us. With us. That <clears throat> this one who's coming will be a God who is with us. And then I've always been intrigued. That's in Matthew 1. And then <clears throat> in Matthew 28, the same book ends with the statement of Jesus in Matthew 28, 20, when he said, I will be with you to the end of the age. Yeah, always, <clears throat> or it's uh, 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 to the end of the age. It's, uh, the, in, in the Greek, it means into the age of the ages. I'll be with you. That whole book, I mean, might be bracketed by the idea that this is the with God life. Not about God, not, not understanding God. It's, it's, it's not the believe God life. <laughs> I lived a lot of years like that. The, the, the understand God, the know God, the believe about God. It's the with God kind of life. So when we understand taking into his care, uh, what is that life like? And we've already suggested a few things here, and I'm going to run through it real quick. That this is a life with the shepherd who leads us. Now, again, I'm just going to draw a quick attention. This is a Middle Eastern shepherd that always, or generally when you see them, are always leading this is an American shepherd driving. <laughs> this is more of our mentality. And Becky threatened me with my life if I showed the German shepherd one more time. <clears throat> she said, if you do that one more time, Cliff. <clears throat> I thought about putting shepherd pie in here, but, you know, I, I'm actually not that deep. I'm, you know, I, I, you need to know that. I'm just really not. But <clears throat> I think it is important for us to get in our mind. I think the American experience... And so we don't really understand shepherds, the with 
God life, the, the being led by, not being driven like cattle drivers. You know, we, we've got a little trail out here west of here, goes to Yukon called the Chisholm Trail. They drove a bunch of cattle. They didn't lead any of them, right? They're driving them through here. And I think sometimes in our mentality, we have the idea that God is kind of a driver or a drover uh, in our lives instead of a leading shepherd. And so we look at this here, that this is the kind of landscape that's part of Israel. Uh, if you're going to find a green pasture and water around there, good luck. I said last week when we went to Israel and saw this, I said to Becky, for the first time in my life, I realized how important it is to have a good shepherd. This is what it looks like east of Jerusalem. And so when we read, when we read in the 23rd Psalm, this kind of with God life, when he says this, the Lord is my shepherd. Sometimes I say it this way. I have everything I need. Literally, it's I, I shall not want or I don't have any wants. What is it? Why, why is it what he wants? It says, because he makes me lie down in green pastures. I don't have any want here you with uh, provision. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even when I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. Interesting phrase. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. I don't have anything I want. I don't have anything I need. I have everything I need. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the kind of with God life we're talking about. What can we expect from this God? What, what is this with God life? So I, I just said to you, let, let's look here real quick. Number one, taking into this care, it's personal. Notice the phrase, it's my shepherd, not the shepherd, somebody's shepherd. The Lord is a great shepherd. No, he's, oh, no, he's mine, my shepherd. The with God life is personal. It's individual. It's that my life is in his care. The second thing, we've already talked about this, even listen to the... To the, re to the recordings you can't re-record every week. The second uh, uh, matter here is it's not only personal, but taking his care is pause. I am fascinated by this. That the very first phrase is, he makes me lie down in green pasture. And I said to you last couple of weeks, I'm just going to keep saying it because I, I need to hear this every week. The life with this shepherd begins by pausing. Not by trying, not by working, not by effort. Pausing. He's completed the work. He's the one who provides. He's the one who's caring for me in all the details of my life. I said this, I said this to Becky. Remember, <clears throat> we got this all wrong. We think that the Christian life begins with a lot of effort, <clears throat> me, me trying hard. I told you last week, remember, human beings are born, or not born, human beings are created on what day in creation? Sixth day, right? So from the ground, Adam, from the ground, that's what Adam means, or Ha-Adam, the, the, from the ground. They're created. So what's the first full day that human beings experience? Rest. That ought to tell you something. The first full day of human existence is rest. Not work, not effort, not trying. And so, so the idea of that the Christian life or the life with this shepherd, if we will, begins with pause. 
E. Stanley Jones, I said this to you last week. The thing is, E. Stanley Jones made this statement when he said that for, you can tell a lot about a Christian's life if they understand, is it do or done? Is your life about do or done? Has Jesus completed, done all that we need for life and godliness? So, so it, it begins with a pause. A third here, it, taking his care, there's provision. And you'll notice here on your outline, and there is, it says that he makes me lie down in green pastures. We talked about that last week, about provision for food and those uh, uh, kind of matters. And Dave and Eden Fatkin last week uh, gave their testimony about how God had provided for them in a very difficult time. I've been, <clears throat> I've been toying with this idea, and I've got several people dialed up. Uh, <clears throat> over the next several weeks, in each of these kind of divisions, uh, I've had some people tell me their story, and I've said, I want you to give your testimony we're going to get a testimony about God being with them in the valley of the shadow of death. We're going to get a testimony about somebody who had their table prepared in the presence of their enemies. We're going to have some testimonies from people in this room because this is not just a story. This is a reality. When you get in the with God life, these things happen, right? Many of you have that same testimony that God has provided for you. So now we look here at this section when it says, He leads me by still waters. He leads me by still water. We're going to work through this here. I, uh, <clears throat> I uh, have to tell you that <clears throat> as soon as I thought about that, I thought of all the Western movies that I've seen, you know. Uh, I, I discovered <clears throat> some years ago that one of the things that rests me and relaxes me are watching old Westerns, you know. You know where somebody gets shot 14 times and there's not a drop of blood? You never notice those, <clears throat> you know. Yeah, you go, what? You know, you go... <laughs> They go, oh, and they die really badly, you know. I mean, it's like, would you just die? <laughs> yeah, Mary Jane. Isn't, oh. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, say, I'm trying to say something I can say on the recording. She said, isn't that fiction? There's a rebellious spirit in this room that must be dealt with right now. Yeah, but I didn't have to read it. <laughs> wow, Mary Jane, that hurts. That, you may get a good job, yeah. As I was saying... <laughs> uh, yeah, but it relaxes me, and it does, and I have to admit that, and it is fiction, and we'll be done with that. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I mean, you, we've seen all the movies. I tried to find a picture of, of uh, there's a great episode in The Rifleman. I've seen them all. I can do the dialogue with them by, by now. But, there, you know, there are always these great things about in, like, the arid west where there's water, and it's still, but it's in a puddle, <laughs> and it's dangerous. It's pazin. You remember that? See, it's Pison. <clears throat> that, that the idea of that there's still water. Now, in, in, in David's place, where, where we're talking about, the, the, the climate's pretty arid. And it's not unusual for when rain occurs for it to get going. We, you know, we saw some of that this week. I had five inches of rain at my house. I don't know what the weather guys are doing. But, you know, we saw some of that rain when it's rushing, uh, the incredible power. I, I heard them say on the Weather Channel the other day, that about six inches of rain or a foot of rain, somewhere in that area, it, if it's moving five mile, four miles an hour, will damage or destroy your house. That's pretty frightening. So, so the idea of, 
of water. In the, in the ancient world there or in Israel, when these storms come, the water gets raging, raging. This, this, this idea here says, he leads me beside still waters. The, the shepherd knows where the still water is. The, the shepherd knows where the water is that's safe to drink. And he leads me to that. I mean, you, you think about when you get thirsty... I remember as a kid in East Texas, when, when you get thirsty, if you don't have somebody telling you where the good water is, you may end up drinking a stink hole, you know? We, we've done that before. To where, we, to where we get so thirsty, we'll just drink whatever we can. This shepherd leads me by waters that are still, that are helpful. You see, one of the reasons is that sheep don't like running water. Why is that, Cliff? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Got that in my notes. Just... Just think about it, that sheep that are heavy laden with wool, if they get close to some water that's moving and they get enough of that water and that wool, it'll take them right down the stream or it'll drown them. And so this matter of still waters is the idea of providing for them what they need and providing them in a safe environment, not just any water, but still waters. In fact, in Hebrew, the word still means restful. Everywhere in the Psalms, just about where this word still is, or maybe your translation is quiet, it's restful. These are restful waters. And sheep are notorious for trying to find water in puddles. And the shepherd, if you will, works very hard to find still water, clean water, that uh, can, can satisfy their need. Now, that's pretty obvious uh, that one of the things <clears throat> that human beings need, one of the things that animals need is water. Dehydration uh, for animals uh, is a susceptible thing, uh, a, a difficult matter. So this water here, he says, is he provides still waters. Now, that's important. You know, food, green pastures, and still water. How many times do we sometimes, if we're not careful, we're going to run around the shepherd to go somewhere. We're going to go drink somewhere else. Maybe where the water is a little more exciting, <laughs> Maybe where, the, maybe where the water's a little more prolific. Instead of being guided and led by the shepherd, we end up drinking out of wells that are broken. Or we end up drinking out of things that really don't satisfy. Isaiah has an incredible statement when he says, you've drunk out of cisterns that are broken. You've drunk out of wells that are polluted. And we have that same need for us to follow the shepherd where he can take us to those places where when we drink water, the kind of water that will bring healing and help to us, the still waters. So notice this next phrase. He restores my soul. <clears throat> now I'm going to camp out here for a while. This is an interesting phrase here because after food and after water, which are two basic needs for an animal or a human being, it says he restores my soul. Now, I want to ask you to consider something here about the connection here and the structure of the passage. Is there some relationship here between being provided provision, if you will, the provision of food and drink that restores the soul? Let me, uh, let me just uh, walk through this here for a second, the word restore. Uh, the Hebrew word here, <clears throat> restore, means to return or revive, to revive the soul. 
it seems that there is this idea that this shepherd in the with God life, that he revives or restores my soul. And I'm going to work this out, I hope, through food and drink. Or is this just some standalone idea? He provides me green pastures to eat and still water to drink. And the result there is he restores my soul. What, what does it mean? It means to, to revive, to restore. Now, this may surprise you. It does sometimes I hear people talk about when it says that this idea of reviving the soul, the need for that. I, I grew up in a tradition that sort of, at least this is the way I heard it. Maybe, maybe I wasn't listening. I, well, I know I wasn't listening lots of times. Yeah, that, that's a foregone conclusion. But when they were talking about this, maybe they said it, but I don't remember. But it was the idea that if you just turn your life over to Jesus and you just, you know, become a serious Christian, that you'll be fine. And uh, that there won't be much struggle. You know, you'll be victorious. Uh, I'm a victor, you know, all that. I, I, I believe that to some, to some extent. But this idea of restoring the soul, we're going to get around to what the soul is, but I just want to hang around here for a little bit of restoring the soul. I think there's a dangerous tendency to think that just because people are Christians and just because they love Jesus and just because they're serious and just because they are engaged, that they don't ever have to be concerned about the restoring of their soul, of reviving it. I told you a couple weeks ago that, that um, I really began this series in Psalm 23 because I knew my soul was dry. And needed reviving. This is the whole purpose. I, I, this isn't about you. It's all about me. <laughs> right? It's all, it's all about me. But it was from the standpoint that I said, I've got to address this issue. Have you ever had your soul where you thought, hey, I, I just, my soul is dry. It's need reviving. Something's going on. Well, it, it worries me that people think that, that that can't happen to people. Or, you know, you know oh, you're just not reading the Bible enough. Baloney. <laughs> well, you're not praying enough. Baloney. Well, you're just not committed. And I say, to what? <laughs> yeah, that can't happen. You, you, there must be some error here. I just want to ask you to consider a couple of things with me real quick. I'm going to give you a couple of New Testament examples real fast about the soul needing to be revived. If the Christian life was automatic, if if it always worked and never was a problem, then I want to suggest you, I've said this before, but said again, there is no reason for the epistles. Because the epistles are written to real Christians in real time who are having real problems, who need real help. And they've trusted Jesus and they've turned to him. They've, you know, you read some of the churches, what they did. There, there, there was one group in Thessalonica that burned over $6 million worth of magic books following Jesus. You think these people were serious? Yeah. Yeah. But the, the idea is that it, it, it runs around us that, that the with God life, if I'm really with him, I, my soul's fine. I, I just want to ask you, if that's true, why do we even have the epistles? Why wouldn't we just say, well, just read the red letters of Jesus and you're, you're good. It's not the way it works. In Matthew 11, if you want to turn there, you can. <clears throat> Go to your table of contents. We've, we've talked about this verse before, but I'm just going to raise it again because there may be people who haven't heard this. It's a 915 in my Bible page where we start. This is the story, again, of John the Baptist who <clears throat> physically saw 
physically saw the Spirit of God descend on Jesus at His baptism and said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, he tells us in his gospel or in the gospel, this is the one, he said, this is the one who was sent me. He said, when you see the Spirit of God descending on him as a dove, this is him. So John saw this happen. Okay? He identifies Jesus, he calls him out, and he declares him the Son of God or the Lamb of God that takes away sin of the world. But what happens in chapter 11? He's been in jail with Herod. Not with Herod, by Herod. Not with Herod. He's by Herod. <laughs> Herod's not in jail. Should have been. There's too much rain this week. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was worried about the obstruction behind my house. Anyway, if you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the Hefner obstruction. <clears throat> I'm Church of God. Uh, John's been in jail for testifying about Jesus and then telling Herod, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. So Herod throws him in jail. So look here, after a while that happens. And then in verse 2, when John, while he was in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he heard what's going on. Jesus healing people, stuff like that. He said to him, are you the expected one? By the way, that's a, that's a messianic uh, uh, title. Are you the expected one? Look at that next verse. I mean, this is fascinating. What does it say? Or do we look for somebody else? What? You saw the Spirit of God descend on him like a dove? And now you're hearing what's going on? And your question is, are you really him? Listen, life has a way of beating your soul up, okay? And just real quick, let me remind you. John thought Jesus was going to clean house. Remember? He said, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will separate the wheat from the chaff. And the axe is laid at the root of the tree. That means he's cleaning house. What is Jesus doing? He's not acting like John expected. I mean, can, can your soul get the point? You just question everything. Probably. John did. So, so the idea of having your soul restored to say, wait a minute, life can get tough. It can beat the certainty right out of you. It can cause you to ask questions and wonder, wait a minute, what I was so certain about. To have his soul restored. Then, then go, go to the right here. I just want to show you one other person. He's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Take a hard right over there. This is the apostle Paul. To restore his soul. It's the Apostle Paul. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I didn't give you the chapter, did I? I did? Okay, good. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to tell you in a minute. <laughs> hey, I'm, 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 I'm scared. Mary Jane scared me this morning. I, <clears throat> I, feel, I feel very vulnerable this morning. It's pretty scary is right. Here we go. Verse 8. This is Paul. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired of life. You ever read that? That's the Apostle Paul. He's writing the New Testament, by the way. 
It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be given to God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4. He said, let me tell you something. We went through some stuff that our, we despaired, that's the word, of what? Life. What does that sound like? That, that's probably past clinical depression. <clears throat> that, that's, that's to the point of <clears throat> giving up. That, <clears throat> that's to the point of saying, man, we despaired so much that we, we just despair of life. You, you don't think you need your soul restored sometimes? You don't, you don't think that sometimes life can happen and we can experience life? This is the Apostle Paul. So he said this, indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. So we have not trusted in ourselves, but in God who raised from the dead. He, he, he goes on in great detail throughout this book. If you want to see the Apostle Paul's life, go read 2 Corinthians. This guy has real problems and difficulties. He's not just some guy that stands up and gives everybody a verse every time something's going on. So, so the idea of restoring, the idea of restoring your soul, this shepherd will restore it. The shepherd is in the with God life is to say, look, I know this can happen. It's not, there's nothing wrong with you. If, if, if John the Baptist, who called Jesus out and saw the spirit descend, can get there, if Paul the Apostle is writing the New Testament, hey, I probably can get there too on occasion. And I need this shepherd to restore my soul. There's a great story about, a, unless you're kind of into preaching like that, a guy named Charles Spurgeon, um, who was a great, maybe the greatest, they call him the prince of preachers. <clears throat> that Spurgeon had some physical problems. He had gout, is what they say. Never had that. I've known some people have it. I don't want it. And, um, but, <clears throat> but Spurgeon, before he would preach to thousands of people, would be so despair, he would be down on his face on the floor. And the elders would come pick him up and pray for him and put him in the pulpit. <laughs> and Martin Lloyd-Jones in his great book said that what was happening here was that really what was happening was a physical thing. He had some physical issues that were affecting his soul. We have to be smarter than that. <clears throat> so what is your soul? <clears throat> Restore my soul. I'm always interested. You know, whenever, uh, and I don't like it, I mean, but whenever, um, whenever a plane crashes, when they come back with the manifest, they always call how many souls were on board. You ever notice that? It's, it's intriguing to me to, to this day. I mean, at least in America. I don't know if they do it anywhere else, but, but they'll always say this for how many souls that were on board. The, 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 uh, the, the uh, uh, Morse code dot uh, dash 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 dot dot dot. I forgot it backwards. Anyway, I'm not on a boat today, but... <clears throat> SOS, some have suggested that the etymology of that or the background is save our souls. Now, others said it means save our ship. Um, uh, but, but the idea of SOS, the soul. So what is the soul? I, I want to tell you, I think discovering what this is will be helpful. Because I think there's some assumptions here I want to kind of deal with. Really what this is, is what, understanding who you are. Uh, I've probably said this before, but, but, but what is my soul? Who am I? I remember uh, some years ago when I learned uh, that there were two different worlds that were going on at the same time. There was the introvert world, and there was the extrovert world. And as you might guess, I'm an extrovert. <clears throat> and I didn't know some things about me that other people were trying to tell me. Uh, 
for instance, I, I didn't know at times that when my wife said, would you like to go eat Mexican food? See, in the extrovert world, that sounds like a what? Question. And I'd say, nope. I don't. You asked me. <clears throat> Never did understand why my introverted friends were always angry. <clears throat> And they even say to me, we never get to do what we want to do. I say, you never tell me what you want to do. Yes, we do. When? Well, when, when I finally learned that lesson last week, <laughs> I learned it all under that. Man, having knowledge of yourself and others is pretty important, isn't it? You know? I mean, if I know I'm an extrovert and I live with my mouth running all the time, and introverts are gonna are gonna make a statement by asking a question. I, I, sometimes Becky will be over there. She she'll be writing stuff down. So what are you fixing to do? What are you doing? Are you making a grocery list? No. What are you doing? Fixing to make a phone call. What? Yeah, I'm writing down what I'm gonna say. You do that? You don't like make this up as you go. <laughs> you don't just get in the moment and let her ride, man. Of course, Becky's also the person in our family had to go back to everybody. Hey, when I said that, I'm very sorry. I Knowing yourself is important. It may surprise you the term soul. That this is the word that means anything that breathes. Animals. Human beings. Anything that breathes. i give you the evidence. In Genesis 1.21, <clears throat> go to your table of contents, find the book of Genesis here real quick. It's in the very front, so that's not going to be a hard one. Okay? <clears throat> not going to be hard. Not going to be hard. I keep patting the pages. Yeah. In, yeah. It's page one. <clears throat> yeah. Page one. Here in verse 21 of Genesis in the Hebrew text, God created the great sea monster and every living creature, that soul that moves on the earth with the waters swarmed, every kind of every winged bird, God saw that it was good. That's the word nephesh. That's what the word is in Hebrew, nephesh. N-E-P-H-E-S-H, nephesh. It's found in 121. Look at verse 24. Then God said, let us bring forth living souls after their kind creatures, but look in the Hebrew and you can see the footnote, living souls. Interesting, isn't it? Then 130, God saw that what he had made, it was good. And there was at 90 of the sixth day that he, what he had made, these souls he'd made, they were good. Two seven. Then the Lord formed man out of the ground. He used the same word right here, nephish, that he used those animals. I'm going somewhere. <clears throat> Non, not heresy, I'm going somewhere. You see, the term soul, at least in Hebrew, is anything that breathes. It's life. Even the word suke, that's the Greek word for it in the New Testament when it refers to soul. 
in Matthew eleven twenty eight or 29. Come to all your labor and your heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Here, look over here in Matthew 11. And give rest to your soul. Jesus said in Mark, I'll just give these to you real quick. In Mark, you can, that's a, Matthew 11, 20, 29. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus made this statement. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take his cross, fire. Whoever wishes to save his soul will lose it. And whoever loses his soul, for my sake, translation, life. Life. This is an interesting word. In fact, I, I working through this this week, I thought, I don't know if I've ever really done any kind of real detailed study on this before. But I've always known when I took Hebrew, it shocked me that when I read in chapter 1, that animals were created, and he called them nefesh hayah, a, a living creature. And then when he got over to human beings, nefesh hayah. What, what does that mean, Cliff? Another good question. <clears throat> here, they, here they are. In John 10, 11, says that the good shepherd gives his soul for the sheep. What does that mean? His life. Acts 15, 26, the soul. 1 Corinthians 15, 44. The first Adam was a living soul. The second Adam was a life-giving spirit. So I want to try to disconnect this a little bit here. That what the scriptures seem to suggest throughout, I think, is that the issue isn't soul, it's what spirit do you have. Everybody's got a soul. I still think maybe my dog may go to heaven. He's got a soul. He should. And Becky warned me about talking about any other animals right here. And I will take her warning. It's amazing. I'm just saying, I just want to tell you, nephish means anything that breathes. Anything that breathes. You, we've got a lot of religious connections with it. A lot of religious ideas. But everywhere it's used, we find this matter. We're too spiritual about this. Then how does our soul get renewed? If it's what is just our breathing, I want to suggest to you that what Paul, or not Paul, I'm back in, with David. Back in Psalms, how does he say it happens? My soul is restored how? Because for green pastures and what? Still waters. Still waters. I think we've been too spiritual about our soul. This has really worked me over. I told Becky the other day, I said, my soul has gotten too lean because I've not recognized the relationship that my soul responds to food and water and rest and not more Bible study and not more prayer and not more things. But if ever living, breathing creature has a nephish, then it responds to physical things. You may think I'm a heretic, but let me remind you, nephish means whatever is breathing. And you restore, your, your soul is restored 
through food and still water and other matters. I'm going to get to this because the restoration of the soul is not simply spiritual exercising, reading more, praying more, attending more. It is, in fact, rest and beauty and friendship and life as it was meant to be. Have you ever wondered why when you stand in front of the Rocky Mountains, Philip, that your soul gets restored? Have you ever noticed that when you're on the beach and you view out on the ocean and you see the vast creation and you leave and you go, man, that was, my soul was restored. Or, or, or you have great laughter with a friend. Or you enjoy life as it was meant to be in relationships with others. And you laugh and you have a great time and you share a great meal and you get finished and you go, I feel restored. We're too spiritual about this, folks. We're too religious. I told Becky this the other day. And maybe a wide path here, so run away as soon as class is over. I said, I'm going to find somebody that's going to help me with a hobby. No. <clears throat> that's punishment. Fiction. I told her that we went out yesterday by the Hefner Obstruction. We did. I got up, walked around. I told you, I'm Church of God, and you can't use damn in any context in the Church of God. Yeah, we're too religious. I know. I got my Nazarene buddies here with me, too, so they know. Dennis, yes, amen. So we always go to the Hefner obstruction. You know, I almost had to wear a hazmat suit because the ragweed is so bad, I can't be outside. And definitely not mowing. And uh, I got a doctor's note on that. And uh, But I said... I've got to get out of books and reading and sitting and thinking, and I've got to go find some nature that will restore my soul. So we got out, walked around, didn't realize there was a triathlon thing. A guy from the triathlon there ran over me. Like, <laughs> he wasn't running very fast, though. But man, he biked, he swam, swam, was swimming, and, and then a marathon. Listen to me. Your soul is that physical, natural part of who you are. I don't believe the scripture can bear out the witness here other than this is why Jesus said, to are you to be born again? You don't need a, you already got a soul, you're breathing. What you need to be is born of the spirit. Your spiritual life or your Christian life is related to the spirit. Your soul is related to your body and your emotions and your physical makeup. And folks, a lot of us never get our soul restored because we think all we are is spiritual. Yeah. Mm. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. For the record, so we can hear, she's remembering a, an Old Testament story about Elijah when he's running from Jezebel after he had defeated all the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. You know, I mean, it, it, and he's running, and what does the angel do? He runs and leaves because he's scared. And what does the angel do? The angel would say, hey, here's a 30-day Bible study for you. <laughs> on fear. You know, I mean, obviously. That's the answer. You know, or here's some verses to claim. Now, I'm not, I'm not negating that, but I'm saying this. The angel says, you need something to eat 
and some water, and he went to sleep. Okay? So, so the idea, what, what, what we need to understand is we have this soul and body. I, I better be careful here because some of y'all are going to get shook up that I may be bipartite instead of three, spirit, body, and soul. I think body and soul are right together right here. I can't separate them because Jesus said if you, try to, if you lose your soul, what is that? Your body, your life. So just stay with me here because the real issue is whether or not we've been given a new spirit, right? Not a new soul, a new spirit. 1 Corinthians 15 says, the first Adam was a life-giving, or was a, the first Adam was a living soul, nefesh hayah, living soul, living soul. He couldn't give us life. The second Adam was a life-giving spirit. So, what we have here, I hope you understand. I hope I'm getting it across. There's something about you that can be restored by beauty. There's something about you that can be restored by laughter. There's something about you that can be restored through nature. There's something about you in this psalm that can be restored through food and drink. You're not just a spiritual being. You're not just this person, just read more, pray more. Maybe we should view ourselves a little differently. Let me, let me tell you a story, and I want to show you a picture. <clears throat> These are uh, bows, uh, bow and arrow things. I'll tell you, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. <clears throat> I'll show you. There's a, there's a story about the Apostle John. He's an old man. He's about 90. He'd been in the copper mines in Patmos and had been delivered out of them. And... Uh, He's at his house in Ephesus, and um, stories told that he's in the backyard playing with bird, doves, birds, doves, stuff like that. And um, there's a hunter that comes out of the woods behind his house. And as he's walking out, he I mean, there are a lot of 90-year-old people in that day of the age, and he looks at him and says, wait a minute, aren't you the apostle John? Yeah. You walked with Jesus. Yeah, I did. Wow, you know, that's surprising to me that a man of your stature and understanding with Jesus that you would be out here in your backyard playing with doves. That seems like a waste of time. And John is reported to have looked at the hunter and said, I notice uh, that your bow is unstrung. The one you used to hunt. He goes, well, it has to be. If the bow is always taut, it loses its strength. And John says, that's why I'm playing with doves. Look at that bow. The left is when it's taut or tight or strung up. The right is when it's unstrung. Now, a friend of mine, Dave Plemons, is a hunter. He actually hunts bear and elk with a bow. I said, I'll go with you. If that's my hobby, I'm going with a bazooka. <laughs> I told him, you're crazy nuts. So I called Dave and I said, Dave, tell me about this. He's a, I mean, he's a real hunter. He said this, here's what happens. If you leave that bow strung up all the time, 
it will be between 15 and 25% loss in power and velocity. Think about that now. I'm pulling this bow back. He said 28 inches. Dave is a real technical guy. 28, not 29, 28 inches. That's the max, maximal or the optimal way you draw it back. 20, he said that thing stays tied up all the time. You'll lose 15 to 25% of the power of that thing. You don't want to be losing power when you're hunting an elk or a bear. He said the other thing, and I didn't know this at all, and he said he didn't know it. If the bow is constantly taut, and T-A-U-T, that means strung up, it, something happens to the bow at the handle, where, where you go right here where the arrow goes. It's called, it's called twisting the limb. What that means is that the bow is subtly warped. And when you try to shoot, you think you're shooting straight. It's going sideways. I thought about this. If your bow is always taut, you're losing power in your life. I'm losing power in my life. When, when God needs me to do something, I've been so frazzled and busy and hectic, there's the power's not there. Or, or second of all, I get crooked thinking I'm going this way when in fact I'm moving in that direction. You see, this idea of, of the soul, it loses its power when we don't respect it. It's you breathing. So is it beauty that you need? Is it nature that you need? Is it food and drink with friends? Is it laughter that you need? Is it a hobby? I need a hobby, okay? I've seen some guys look at me like, okay. I'm thinking, no, please don't. No. I don't do anything dangerous. <laughs> do you have a hobby that, that restores you? I told Becky this. I mean, I've been working on this for several weeks, and I said, I've got to change some things, Becky. I've got to change some things in my life. So what would you do? How about this? What if you honored your soul this week? By the provisions of the shepherd and providing it with some recreation. That's what it's called, right? Recreation. Recreation. Or some beauty. Or nature. We do this to our own soul. We just think we're just so spoiled. Well, just read more. Well, just pray more. I'm not against reading your Bible and praying. I'm simply saying, I don't know that the nephish is always going to respond to that. The breathing part of you. The physical part of you. The living part of you. He restores my soul. How did he do it? Food and drink. That's how he did it. And that's probably the way he's going to do it for you. That's probably the way. Now, I want to stop here one more time real quick. Pam Barton, who's in our class. Pam is, uh, works at the university and Liz and her good buddies and friends. She today... Told me, I won't be there, Cliff. She's, if you read the newspaper, you know, all three of us in the city. Um, uh, yeah, there are three of us that read the newspaper. Uh, she is working today, started yesterday, with homeless women in a spiritual formation journey. And if anybody today is helping people to restore their soul through this good shepherd, it's Pam. So we're going to pray for her right now, okay? We're going to pray for Pam through friendship, 
through laughter, through sharing food together. That's what they're doing all weekend. And they're talking about Jesus, but they're eating together. They're laughing together. They're in a place of beauty. They're seeing nature. Their soul's getting restored. Let's pray for Pam. Lord Jesus, would you help her right now? Uh, we know you're there with them. And what terrible things some of these people have gone through. Their souls have been racked with pain. Would you help them enjoy a great meal and laughter and beauty and friendship and joy and art and whatever you got for them. Help us, Lord Jesus, to, to allow you as the shepherd with them to restore their soul. Would you guide them as they're working such important work, such difficult work, such careful work she's doing. So be with Pam and be with those ladies. Now, Lord, help us today. Maybe it's to stand in front of a painting and allow it to just drench our soul or to look out at nature or take a walk or eat with friends. Whatever it is, Lord, help us to let you, the good shepherd, you, you create all this stuff for us. You've got it for us to restore our soul. We ask you to do this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.